here at JM in the AM. Well, to uh, say that, um, or by Dr. Kenneth Brander is a uh, friend of this network and a personal friend for decades is an understatement. I'm glad we have an opportunity during this time of year to uh, wish him and his wonderful institution well. He reminded me off the air just a couple of minutes ago about some of the challenges that um, he has led his institution through over the last few months, and it's been uh, it's been quite a ride, to say the least, and we'll get into that in just a moment. He is the Rosh Yeshiva of Torah Stone. He's speaking to us live from Israel. Rabbi Brander, a, a Gemar Tov, a Shana Tova, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Gemar Tov, Nachom, it's always uh, a pleasure to hear your voice, especially during this time of year of Simcha. You add to my personal Simcha and what you're doing for the Jewish people. In a time in which we need so much light, uh, you help add to it. So oh, thank you, Nahum. I appreciate that very much. Um, let's start with what you and I were just speaking about uh, for a moment off the air. Um, I, I guess we'll start with the with the greatest challenge, and hopefully we'll end up this conversation with tremendous hope for the future. Uh, but you and the, the people around you, uh, your teachers, your students, those in the institution had a very challenging year. You actually, uh, you actually um, saw as uh, some of your students were murdered in terrorist attacks in Israel. And I'm wondering, as the year came to a close, and as the brand new brand new year came to a uh, came to a start, I was wondering how you and everybody around you reflected on such a terrible tragedy in such a difficult circumstance to get through. Well, uh, first of all, thank you, Nachum, for the question. Uh, let me just start from a point of optimism. And we, we've opened a few more institutions that really celebrate Achdus uh, and Klai Yisrael, and we should talk about that. But let's begin by focusing on those uh, loved ones that we've lost. Cholomoed uh, Pesach. We won't even have to start from the beginning of the Jewish year. Let's start from Pesach, the last uh, Chag. Um, we lost uh, two students, uh, the D uh, young ladies and their mother. Um, you know, Rabbi D is uh, is amazing and a tremendous inspiration. But my concern uh, really focuses on the hundreds of their friends who are, you know, who are still in the living, as well as the friends of the D children who continue to play and lead beautiful lives. How do we make sure that they're healthy? How do we make sure that their faculty, their teachers are healthy? It's been a challenge. Um, and we have invested with the help of friends in America. And I want to uh, thank uh, Rabbi Blau and Rabbi Dratch from the Rabbinical Council of America, who actually get some of the synagogues to help support it. Uh, we have really invested in certain opportunities to build on mental health uh, safety and self-esteem of our students and of our faculty who really this has been an amazing uh, traumatic time that continued with the loss one of our students in our yeshiva at Hezder um, is or was in the commando unit of Yalom which is responsible to blow up the underground caverns normally in the Gaza and other places which hold munitions to hurt uh, to hurt the, the population of Israel, the citizens of Israel, both Jews as well as Arabs. 
um, and they're a special elite commando unit. Um, in practicing for some of the raids uh, in the summer, they practiced at night uh, from 12:30 in the morning to like 4:30. They were crawling in the, in the desert, and he uh, passed away from a heat stroke exhaustion. Wow! Um, that was uh, you know you're talking about a a 20 year old, and what a loss for again not just for the family, which I don't want to minimize in any way. That's yeah, the greatest loss. And that relates continues, but all his sheer and all his, you know, his sheer olive, his sheer bet, the sheer gimel. I mean, one day they they have their friend, and another day uh, his chair is empty in the base medrash, and it's not a it's a whole challenge of how you deal with that. And then we have one of our librarians in our, our school, Derech Avot, which serves around 500. Uh, young men in the Efrat area. Um, well, her daughter was driving to set up her uh, preschool classroom. And uh, she uh, was shot on Highway 60. Um, again, it, it just, you know, what do you say to the mother who's a, who's a colleague of yours? What do you say to her? Um, you know, while she's trying to figure out how she deals with her grandchildren who no longer have a mother, um, how she deals with, uh, you know, her own life. Uh, her husband had passed away actually from a heart attack a few years earlier. And, wow. you know, these are some of the challenges, you know, what this remind, uh, that are faced. you know, what this reminds me of yesterday. We had a whole discussion regarding the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur war and episodes like that. Uh, like the Yom Kippur War episodes, like uh, I mean, you know, multiple terror attacks, Lebanon War. I mean, there are, there are eras where you know collectively there are just so many casualties and so many disasters that occur at the hand of the enemy, obviously, and it, it affects that generation. It affects that group of people, you know, forever. Um, I mean, ho- hopefully that you know it, it, it leads to you know some building of character as well. But uh, certainly we, we we would hope for other methods to do that. But it, it certainly changes people forever. And I just realized as you're saying all this about the last six months that your chevra, in other words, the uh, uh, the people associated with your institutions have gone through a tremendous amount. They went through a, a what, what I would consider to be a, a similar experience where just a few months were filled with terrible terror attacks and tremendous losses. And and you know what it's like. You know what it's like. Because in our era, when we were students, it was, uh, it, this happened way too often, where, where one, you know, uh, where one episode goes to the next one and then goes to the next one. And, uh, you know, the, the collective pain is much greater than the, than the, than the pain of these individual um, episodes that occur. So the institution, as you described it, is going through a really traumatic time. I would guess that Rosh Hashanah must have been a, a you know, not just the wish among those that you're surrounded by to turn the corner and really, you know, have some positive experiences. But, you know, we, we talk about uh, let the year end and all of its horrible things end with the year. In your case, uh, that uh, that bracha really is meaningful. It's 100% meaningful, and uh, I had the privilege of davening Yom Kippur at Midrashat Lindenbaum. So Midrashat Lindenbaum has, uh, you know, 30 men uh, davening there, and you have, uh, 
around uh, 300 women dosing there, including around 200 of our students who are in the IDF who come in like two hours before Yom Kippur, are given permission to switch out of their uniforms and then get into appropriate uh, yantav dresses and then run out uh, immediately after they break their fast. And um, it, it's, there, there's something about that. And, and the Chazan for Ni'ila, whose name is Rav Ohat Tarlev, who is the, the Rosh Beit Midrash, or the Rosh of the Midrash at Lindenbaum, and I'm sure many of your listeners who went to Midrash at Lindenbaum are familiar with him. So he davens Ni'ila. So there is a passage in Ni'ila, I'm not quoting exactly. O Yizkor Lanu Avat Eitan. We should remember the love of Eitan, in other words, the love that Avraham and that Yitzchak committed and that the, the, the son that was, that was offered on the Mizbeach. And he starts to cry. I mean, he starts to not just cry, but cry, because he lost the son oh, yeah, yeah. Um, as his son in the army was protecting the community of Ofra. Oh. And what what I'm going through at that moment is that not that the tfilot, his tefillot are going up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's a given, but that HaKadosh Baruch Hu joined us in the in, in the base medrash. Here's a guy who is davening with such kavana and is has lived the words, has mamish lived the words. They're not about an event that happened a few thousand years ago. They're an event that happened three years ago. Um, or or actually maybe six years ago. But the bottom line is, that's what I was reminded of. But at the same time, Nachum, and and, and, my children, you know, Nachum, I'm a a guy who grew up at Yeshiva University. What do I know about these things? But you learn fast. uh, You certainly do. Well, I remember remember being a student in Israel and then losing... Uh, colleagues yeah. to terror attacks, and uh, right. uh, obviously anybody who was in Israel in the early '80s, you know, they probably knew right. young men that were in the Lebanon War and 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 became POWs. Right. My older Chavruta, Shlomo Uman was uh, fell in the Lebanon War. Yeah, but um, so it's a uh, it's different when you're responsible. It's different when you're responsible. But but Baruch Hashem, because all of our institutions are not shrinking. Yeah. The, no, the institutions are are growing the amount of students living in the various areas, whether it's in Yerushalayim, whether it's in the Gush. It's all growing. Yeah, no question about it. All right, all right Dr. Kenneth Brander is with us. He's the Rosh Hashiva at Artura Stone in Israel. Uh, let me ask you about a couple of new programs I was made aware of, and, um, and then I have to ask you about one of the situations in Israel that we saw over the Chagim, over the first Chagim of this season. Uh, I, I would imagine that somehow you are going to uh, you're going to encourage me to look at the future um, in a very positive light, but we'll get to that. Uh, I was informed that there's something called Maminot Bimadim. Uh, explain what that's all about. Well, as you said, we opened uh, two new programs. One of them is Maminot Bimadim, and it, what it is is the following. We have Orthodox... There, there are 6,500 young ladies that graduated from religious Zionist high schools this year throughout Israel. Out of the 6,500 that graduated, 3,000 of them went into the IDF. Wow. Which means that, yeah, it used to be a very small percentage, 2%, 5%. 
Wow. Now it's almost mamish. It's almost half. Wow. So it's like, you know, 48%, something like yeah. that. So we make sure that all of our students that we have, and again, we have 550 students in the IDF right now, 350 is probably our women. We meet with every single one of them every other week. In other words, we go to the base, we learn with them. More importantly, we bring snacks. And we also take care of the ones who, for example, are in Tel Aviv, in the Kiria, where the dorms are not, they're more co-ed than they should be. We've rented apartments for them so they can be in an environment that's more consistent with the values of uh, Tzniut. But they're serving in, in mostly in intelligence units. Some are protecting the Egyptian border where they use different high-res you know, different types of um, different types of uh, vision Te- technology things that check the board technology to check the border, and their teachers in the IDF work with command of how they can find their way home if they lose their GPS equipment. And there's a few other jobs that they do that I would prefer not mentioning on on your network. Um, but that's the basic jobs that they do. So we've been answering their shilas. We have like. 20 WhatsApp groups. I think there's 250 or so that can be on a WhatsApp group. So we have like 20 of these groups. They're obviously not all our students, but we get Shilas from all over the army from, from Orthodox women who have Shilas or perhaps not Orthodox women who have Shilas. And we answer them 24 six. Um, and, um, the army came to us and said, listen, Midrash at Lindenbaum has the largest, group of women that sit and learn Torah before they serve in the IDF. We have three branches, I would say approximately we have 270 women right now who are sitting and learning before they go into the army. So the bottom line is we'd like you to become like mommy dopa mommy the madim. We want you to basically answer the shilas for any of the women who have questions and we'll facilitate uh, making sure that that you're available. You're going to most of the bases anyways. You're in, uh, in Tel Aviv, which has like uh, an upper floor, an upper area. Yeah. Then it has an underground uh, thing. Right. So why don't why don't you just become really the postkim and start writing the shayos and chuvas that are happening? Again, the Rabbam speaks about a machas mitzvah that both men and women should fight or should be involved, maybe in different ways. But the bottom line is, why don't you start writing the halachic literature? Why don't you serve as um, a support system, a spiritual support system? Understood. So we've opened this up. Yeah. We opened it up two weeks ago, and that, Baruch Hashem, that's doing amazing. No, it's pretty amazing. I cannot believe the number of people that you're actually helping with that program. It's remarkable. And Midrashah Yisraelite, that's the other name of a brand new program that came across our desk. What could you tell us about that, Rabbi Brander? Well, in the spirit of what we just said, of there being out of the 6,500, 3,000 uh, you know, or so going into the ITS, so I, I would say there's a small percentage that learn Torah before they serve in the IDF. I would say if we have, you know, approximately 300, and there's another 200 and other very important uh, midrashot around the country, that's a small group of, of what's going. And 
what happened was we spoke to a whole bunch of young ladies from our own high schools who weren't learning beforehand. And they basically said they didn't want to go into a 13th grade. They wanted to be part of a larger society. And then lo and behold, because we have a program in which we work with 600 apartment buildings and in uh, around 40 uh, Jewish community centers, Matnasim, we started meeting young women who don't define themselves as observant, that they want to sit and learn Torah. So we decided to open a base medrash in Pardes Chana, a more center of the country, which would be the midrash, that the public domain is fully Shomer Shabbos, but 50% of the population does not define itself as Orthodox, and 50% of the population defines itself as Orthodox, but they don't want to go to a traditional seminary like Midrash at Lindenbaum or Migdal O's or Nishmat or something like that. They wanted to go to something different. It's, a, it's not a co-ed program because I wouldn't want it to be a co-ed program. It's a girls, young ladies only, base Midrash, Midrash. They get up, you know, at 7 o'clock in the morning to Davin, and then they have a Seder in Gemara, then they have a Seder in Tanakh, a Seder in philosophy, little Jewish history a little uh, few times a week service in the Partizana community for the underprivileged. It's a full-time seminary, the first of its type in the state of Israel, maybe in the Jewish community, I'm not aware, where 50% yeah, I, I are Shomers. Yeah, I would bet. I would bet it's the first in the yeah. Jewish community. <laughs> right. I can't believe you're able to attract so many people in a situation like that, which is remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we started with 22. We could have started with 50, but it wouldn't have been an equal amount of Orthodox and from the Tzibor HaRachav, the general community. Right. And I wanted it to be, like we said, a 50-50 split, and that's what we started. And and again, it's only two weeks old, so it could be in a year from now, I'll tell you, it was a complete failure. But I can tell you this, that we decided that that seminary, we would let everyone go home on Yom Kippur. Because how are you going to run a program on Yom Kippur when 50% of the group doesn't fully observe Shabbat? Right. So they came to us and they said, you know what? On the second floor of the, of the building that we have the seminary in, there's a full minion. They said, we've decided as a group that we want to dive in with that minion because we want to be together in Yom Kippur. I mean, it's like it's mamish a gift from a Kaddish Baruch Hu. What an opportunity that you had a group of women who we thought, we thought, let them go home for Yom Kippur, let them find their own sp spiritual space. But they decided that they wanted to create their own spiritual space together. And that, to me, celebrates and represents the idea that in a community and in a state in which there is so much fragmentation and factorization, this is an anecdote, this is a response, an antidote to that. Oh, yeah. Here you have a group of 22 women who are going to serve either in Sherut Lumi or the army afterwards who decided we want to learn Torah together. Allow Torah not to be weaponized, but allow Torah to celebrate the grace and the graciousness of the Torah, of the words of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Yeah, Torah can be a unifier. And allow those words. Torah can be yes. a unifier, and Torah can, should and, be a unifier. And, and Torah can be what it is supposed to be, which is uh, uh, an affirmation of our heritage, no matter what someone's background might be. 
Exactly. Uh, yeah, and uh, that's pretty remarkable. All right, Dr. Kenneth Brand is with us, Rosh Hashiva president at Arturus Stone. By the way, folks, I just wanted to mention, well, I'm sure we'll talk about this more between now and mid-November, but uh, they have announced the Arturus Stone dinner for New York City. It's going to be at Lincoln Square Synagogue Tuesday, November the 14th, with many distinguished honorees. Obviously, we'll have a chance to talk about this as we get closer, and people aren't focused at the moment on dinners and stuff that are happening after Sukkot, which I get, but I just wanted to mention it. There is information online, OTS.org.il. Again, OTS.org.il. You could donate and support uh, the programs that I branded just spoke about, and of course, dinner information is there. Well, we won't do it now, but I just wanted to make everyone aware that November the 14th, which is a weeknight, a Tuesday night, they've already scheduled the o- OTS dinner uh, for Lincoln Square Synagogue in New York City. Right, my brander, finally, uh, you know, you're one of the few people I think that could really uh, look at things in a positive light, even when they might look bleak. Um, the situation in Tel Aviv over Yom Kippur, let's just let's just assume for a moment that the entire situation was mishandled, mishandled by by all sides, by the court, by the authorities, the political, although, frankly, the political leaders in the courts probably mishandled it more than anybody else, but whatever. Let's just say that, you know, it, 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 whatever happened, 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 and and we certainly, as you just said about uh, uh, you know weaponizing, God forbid, Torah or politicizing, God forbid, Torah. Uh, we we sort of saw our some of our traditional values and beliefs uh, fall into that category, uh, at least at the at the hands of certain people at uh, these violent reactions to to Yom Kippur services in Tel Aviv. Anyway. Is there a positive takeaway? Uh, do you view this situation any differently than the way I just described it? Well, I do think it was mishandled by a lot of different groups. I don't think we have the time to discuss that. But I, I have to tell you that we had in our program that uh, engages with the larger Jewish community, we had on Rosh Hashanah 230 locations in which we blew shofar where hundreds of people attended. Wow. And on Yom Kippur... We had 70 different places where we had uh, what I would call explanatory services, not full services. But they were more challenging and there were more issues. And in some places, people came to complain and, you know, and things of that nature. But, you know, I'm reminded of something Rabbi Soloveitchik once said, not about this issue, but in context. He reminded us that the first uh, capturing of Israel, which was done with miracles under the heroic and righteous leadership of Yoshua, was a holiness that ended when the Jewish people were banished with the destruction of the first temple. Right. The second temple was established, or the return was established by Ezra and Nehemiah, and a bunch of Jews that weren't the most religious Jews in the world. They, many of them were intermarried, and Ezra and Nehemiah had to deal with that. But the holiness that of, of the second kibush, of the second conquering, is a holiness that lasts forever. And Rabbi Soloveitchik said that in Judaism, redemption that comes with all of the challenges that you and I are speaking about is really a redemption that can endure forever. And while there are deep challenges here that I do not want to ignore, Key challenges that some of us are working on dealing with. There's a group of 40 of us from the army, from the academic world, from the rabbinic world, from the religious actors, not religious, with the help of the president that are trying to create what we call a common story. I do believe that while there are some bad actors that are causing some of these issues on all, on all sides of the table, I do believe 
that over the course of the next two years, it's not a five-minute thing, and it's very painful, we will come out stronger with a stronger common narrative. And I just gave you a few examples, the fact that we could have hundreds of events. I do believe that we will get to that point. I do think that we have to be sensitive to all sides and not allow Judaism to be weaponized, not allow people to take advantage of their leadership positions. I do believe that we have to show respect even for those who have a fractured and fragmented relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, and to realize that Yadus has always supported that paradigm. But I do believe that, that at the end, just like in the time, we're not any worse off than Ezra and Nehemiah were when they started off. We're 75 years young. There's a lot of work for us to do. Nachum, as I've told you before, and I'll say it publicly, I'd love for you to move the network to, uh, to, to Israel, and I have 12 campuses. You can pick any one of those campuses to house your network. <laughs> we need your energy here, although we get your energy because we all listen to you. Well, I appreciate that. I may actually uh, set up 12 studios the way things are going uh, if I take you up on that offer. Right, Dr. Kenneth Brander, he's the president and Rosh Hashiva at Torah Stone. Uh, information about all the work they're doing, go to the website, ots.org.il, and hopefully the uh, positive message that he's given us as we start 5784 will permeate the year ahead and uh, time after that as well. Uh, by the way, I mean, best regards, of course, to Rabbi Riskin. I had an opportunity last month to visit him, and uh, it was an exhilarating morning. It was so wonderful to see him. Mm-hmm. So continued success to you and the institution. Thank Nash- you. And a Tova and a Gemar Tov. And Nachum, even if it's not a full, uh, you know, a full studio, it could be like some people have a small house in <laughs> Jerusalem. You can have a small uh, studio in Jerusalem. Trust me, these days, that's all you need is a small studio. <laughs> but I won't go into detail okay. about that right now. All right, Dr. Kenneth Brander on a Thursday morning broadcast at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and on the Nachum Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app.